podcast features interviews with a diverse group of musicians in different fields of the music industry. My intent is that the audience will gain something from each guest's story. This episode features my conversation with Nir Felder. Nir is one of the most in-demand guitarists in the scene today. As a sideman, he has worked with Esperanza Spaulding, Terry Lynn Carrington, whose recent release featuring Nir on guitar won a Grammy for Best Jazz Instrumental Album, Jack DeJeanette, Greg Osby, Joey DeFrancesco, Eric Hardland, Michelle Degacello, Cindy Blackman, and he has performed at the New York City Opera, Diane Reeves, Bobby McFerrin, Stanley Clark, Liz Wright, and Mazzucato. As a leader, he released The Golden Age on Sony Masterworks in 2014 to critical acclaim. I sat down with Nier at his home in Brooklyn this past October. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com you'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at amusiciansifepodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at MusicianLifePod. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Here's my conversation with Nir Felder. So Nir, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. So uh, let's start with some basic biographical information. Where'd you grow up? I grew up, um, well, I was born in New York City, yeah. uh, and we lived in, you know, kind of typical New York City fashion, moving apartment to apartment mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So we lived in, in maybe, you know, five or six different apartments before my parents made the move to the Burbs. Yeah. So they're, um, they're now in a town called Katona. Before that, they were, we were in a town called Hartsdale until I went to high school, basically. Okay. And uh, were your parents music at all? Was there music like, happening in your home? They're not super musically inclined. I mean, they like music uh it was never a, a focus but my grandmother um is is kind of the one person in my immediate family that is very music focused mm-hmm. she's a huge music fan um she goes out to hear music all the time mm-hmm. she listens to music constantly uh you know she's got a, a huge ipod library of great mostly classical stuff yeah videos of bernstein conducting that's like her her jam okay and uh she also kind of grew up with that kind of tradition of like you know, playing guitar by the fireside, you know, so she plays a lot of instruments in kind of that, you know, in that fashion of like mm-hmm. playing the chords, yeah. you know, singing the songs together. So um, right. guitar, she played accordion, she played mandolin, you know, not virtuoso level, but yeah. like, you know, kind but of happening. Like, like she showed yeah. me my first song on the guitar, you know, she yeah. knew the chords. And then she later like, you know, played a little classical piano. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, cause she just loves music. You know? Yeah, cool. Really so awesome. would you go with her to see music in the city? Or? We have, yeah. Uh, you know, I think I've gone with her to like the Philharmonic, mm-hmm. you know, at times. Mm-hmm. I haven't gone with her recently, but um, she still goes all the time. She's oh, great. so into it. It's awesome. Cool. And uh, so was that your first like experience like playing an instrument? Was it with her playing the guitar or like what was your you earliest know, experience? When I was, uh, so when we moved to the, the Burbs for the first time, uh, mm-hmm. I was pretty young when we moved to Hartstone, but I was still kind of trying to find my my place in, in whatever the, the universe, you know, I was like a 10 year old or sure. whatever, whatever. And um, my parents both worked, you know, and I didn't have any siblings at the time. Mm-hmm. So I would get home from school and, uh, you know, need to 
kill some time until my parents got home from work or whatever. Right. And for me, it was MTV. Just yeah. like turn. It was the '80s, so it was like MTV was just nothing but music videos. Yeah. And I got so into it. I was so into everything. You know, I was yeah. into Guns and Roses. I was into the Far Side, Yo MTV Raps, Headbangers yeah. Ball, 120 Minutes, all the shows that played the different styles. Right. I was so into it. Um, so I would go to uh, the Wiz or whatever. You remember that store, the Wiz? Yeah. Like you know, the electronic store. The electronic yeah. store. They would yeah. sell cassettes. Mm-hmm. The cassette was like four bucks or something, you know. And I would buy like Fugazi cassettes or whatever. I had enough right. money, you know. So, um, so that's when I first started kind of getting bit by the music bug. I was yeah. super into just watching music videos all day long and buying cassettes of whatever I saw that I liked. Right. And shit that I didn't even know. I would, I would just grab a cassette and be like, this looks cool. Looks cool cover. Cool. Right, right. You know? Yeah. So after, that made me want to play guitar. Yeah. Then I was like, I need to start playing some music. Yeah. So I went to Sam Ash with my folks at some point and we got whatever, like kind of, we didn't have a lot of money. So whatever, like the cheapest guitar was. Yeah. And what it ended up being was this used I believe it was an Ibanez. Mm-hmm. I might still have it somewhere at my parents' place, but it's like kind of for guitar players. It's kind of like a Explorer shape, the Gibson Explorer, mm-hmm. but way more outlandish. It was huge. It was heavy and it had like spikes and stuff. It was like a heavy, wow. yeah, metal heavy metal guitar, guitar. Yeah. and it had been spray painted purple and yellow, and it was on sale for like a hundred bucks. Right, know? it was like the guitar no one wanted. Right. So I got that, and my parents got me some lessons, but it was just a total lost cause because I was, you know. 12 or something you know i just yeah. couldn't even hold this right huge beast guitar, of a guitar yeah. and uh and they hooked me up with a teacher who was like you know i wanted to learn like some metallica songs and he mm-hmm. wanted to teach me how to read music so yeah. it's just not happening not a good match yeah. not a good match so yeah. uh i didn't last long i was like this is not for me right so that was like 12 you were like sixth grade seventh that grade was like maybe no that was before before that, that okay that, that was maybe like fifth grade let's okay. say you know and then later on, I think this was eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I was already in a different school district. My parents mm-hmm. had moved again. And um, we had this keyboard class it, that I signed up for. Like basic keyboards, like learning Mary Had a Little Lamb and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, the teacher of that class, this guy Bill Cox at the high school, super cool guy. He was like the prototype of the cool cat musician. He right. was just like, I loved him. I was like, this guy is so cool. Right. And... Um, and I guess a lot of people felt that way about him because people would leave the middle school and high school and keep in touch with him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So he had some students in the past that had gone on to go to Berkeley and become musicians and stuff, mm-hmm. and they kept in touch with him. So he would he would invite them down to his middle school classes and have them play for the kids. Oh, cool. If they needed to pick up like some extra students or something like sure. that. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah. So this dude came into the class and played guitar, and I was floored. I was like, that's it. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Oh, cool. So right away, like, you know, it worked. Yeah. You know? So did you go home and pick up that uh, heavy metal guitar? or like? That's what you... I had at first. Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe I took a lesson with him, and he was like, whoa. Like, <laughs> we got to get you a new guitar. <laughs> yeah. More or less. <laughs> cool. So by that point, I was a little older, and I was yeah. like, you know. And then once I started, then it was like, there was no turning back. Yeah. I was just bit by the bug. So were you, did you study with that guy, the student of the your teacher? The student that came in, yes, and I'm not going to name him, but mm-hmm. he was, you know, he gave me a few lessons and he was, it was cool. Yeah. And then I think at some point, like, 
it was like a total like college kid kind of thing to do but like I think we paid him by groups of lessons mm-hmm. you know we paid him for like four lessons yeah. and then he would give us four lessons right. but I think we like paid him for four and then like he just never showed up ever again oh. <laughs> well you know he's just like whatever it, I don't think it was like an intentional right. scam he was, right. just, he was just like a college yeah. kid I was just like oh whatever so I was gonna ask you who was who would you consider like your first grade teacher we're gonna put him down as like not your first grade teacher like, he was a yeah. <laughs> that guy not so much but you know what he had a vibe on guitar I still yeah. remember what he sounded like you know yeah. he wasn't you know he was good yeah you know and he had he had kind of a, a a cool funky vibe which you know made me want to play right you know what I mean he wasn't like a dud at all and so as a th- player this was like middle school this era? was probably eighth grade okay so yeah. like going into it, high school yeah so in your middle school did they have like a jazz band in your middle school uh, not in middle school. Not in middle school. Okay. In uh, in high school. In high school, did. yeah. So. And I had a great high school. The the music teachers in my high school were really good. Yeah. They were really cool people too. You uh-huh. know, they they made music fun to be around. You're like, mm. you know, they made it seem like it was like a protected part of the educational universe where like people could be themselves and be cool and like. It's funny we're doing this podcast and I I knew I wanted to mention this at some point because I, I I'm kind of new to podcasts i didn't mm-hmm. listen to a lot of them but uh i was out in la and i met this guy and he, he gave me his podcast t-shirt it's a podcast called guitar wank and i was like oh this looks cool i should check this out and especially if i'm gonna rock this t-shirt yeah and i listened to it and it's a great podcast it's yeah. awesome it's a guitar centered yeah but one of the first things i just like picked a random episode he gave he's like i want to give a shout out to all the teachers out there because without music teachers you know someone could i thought this was really profound someone could live till the age of 20 and never see an adult doing something that they really love. Hmm. I thought that was so deep because yeah. it, it might be true. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm thinking about these people. I know, you know, not to get too personal, I, I think my parents like what they do. Yeah. But I'm not sure if they, I mean, there's definitely been times when they hate it. Yeah. You know, when they're just like, this is all about, you know, putting food on the table. Yeah, exactly. This is yeah. not about the love of, you know what you're doing every business day. or whatever yeah. yeah but these high school i mean i saw that people that love the science yeah. teachers that love yeah, science. yeah yeah but these music guys yeah at my high school they really love they it. run it. yeah they love yeah, it they yeah cool cool so um so like did you so did you play your jazz jazz band in high school for like a couple years like for four years did you get in right away i or? did i got in pretty soon yeah you know because i was maybe more uh, uh, on the more committed side yeah you know, and they were really cool. Yeah, so, I mean, it was it was great. So who like who did you who who was who were you studying with? Who was helping you with guitar at that point? So this I actually had some cool lucky breaks with teachers. We're in the suburbs, you know. So it, even though it's not that far, it didn't really occur to me to go into the city for a teacher. You know, yeah. it's still very. You know, it's an hour on the train, an hour and a half on the train. Yeah. But uh, we were very much there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, there were. The first local guy I hooked up with is this cat named Frank DeBretti. Mm-hmm. And I believe he's in Houston now. Mm-hmm. Um, he left at, at a certain point. You know, He said, I have to stop teaching you because I'm moving to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he definitely did some time in Nashville. as a, And I think he did really well. Um, he was just a great session guy. You know, he was like bringing different guitar every time mm-hmm. he like any style i was interested in. like i want to learn country music i want to learn jazz i want to learn whatever he's like okay cool check this out and he always gave me like what i think was great is like i was just really starting out i've been playing for a year maybe you know mm-hmm. 
but he really fed my, like, I, I always felt challenged by the lessons. You know, he would mm-hmm. give me stuff that was way beyond what I could do. Mm-hmm. And I would figure out how to do it because I was really into it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if, if I was not that into it, it would have been, it would have been a turnoff. Mm-hmm. But it was actually so awesome because yeah. he saw that I was excited about it. He said, well, try to do this. Yeah. I tried to do this and it was perfect. Yeah. Excellent, man. I'm grateful to Frank. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's a sign of a great, like when it, as a, as some, like, as for me as a teacher, like when you see that in a kid, it's great to be able to like put that carrot just a little far out of their reach. Yeah. And I noticed like myself when I was studying with Bagulati, like after like a couple months, I realized that like he would give these six things to do, like you have two weeks to do them. And there was, it was impossible to do. Yeah. It was an impossible task, but you would like push yourself so hard to get there yeah. you know and that's where you're making the big strides as a yeah. as a student and uh, and as a teacher to recognize that and be able to do it that's so that's fantastic awesome, that you got it so you got that he was so awesome, young man he would like you know he's like hey man here's a jimmy page transcription learn this or mm-hmm. like here's a, a a bluegrass like flat picking tune learn that mm-hmm. you know he would, here's a django reinhardt so right he right. would just always give me and it'd be whatever i wanted kind of right you know i'd be like i want to learn that and then he'd be like okay i'll transcribe it for you right you know that's awesome man yeah that's great that's you know he wasn't like teaching to make to make some bread and it was just like you know let's get through this lesson it was like no you want to learn this cool let's do it i'll I'll learn that for you so i can teach that to you right that's great that's good so so he would that he was a teacher like early on in high school he was my first teacher like i'd been playing one year to maybe till i'd been playing for two years or so and then he moved to nashville so okay i lost rank and then i went without a teacher for a long time okay so i was kind of self-taught for a long time and i would go to the summer camp the national guitar workshop that Mm -hmm. no longer exists Mm -hmm. um and I met some really cool people there, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, you know the guy Jordan Pearlson studied mm-hmm. with Adam Isidore, okay. Izzy, yeah. what's up Izzy? Um, Izzy was there, yeah. and a lot of really cool. It was all co- guys from New York City players, right. right? You know, so and so, you know some guys from Austin. So it was like a direct link to like real yeah. professionals for the yeah. first time. Guys that were like out there doing gigs, you know, telling war stories. Right. So it's like. Being, being around the real and and same like, like Frank if they saw you were really committed they'd be like oh yeah come come, come yeah. hang after class you know and we'll play and you know, yeah for a beginner that was like so the precious yeah. yeah yeah so um so throughout high school was there any other teachers that you studied with during high school or was you mean yes so uh another person who I'm like super I will always be grateful to this guy is uh someone named Arlen Roth mm-hmm. so um <laughs> It's funny because I, I knew about Arlen. Mm-hmm. Arlen was like a, definitely a local legend. Like mm-hmm. everyone, everyone that played music knew about Arlen. Yeah. But the only guy I knew that uh, took lessons with Arlen didn't really want to give me his info. He was like, "Oh, you know, he doesn't take many students, and like, you know, and and you know, of course, I was like, oh yeah, sure, you know, because he's famous, right? You know, he probably wouldn't. But he made, he kind of made it sound. I think it was a like young, you know, fifteen year olds competitive right. kind of thing. Because when I finally did get his number. And called me. He's like, yeah, sure, come on by. You know, yeah. He he had no idea who I was. He's yeah. like, oh, you want to take lessons? Sure. And and we really hit it off. It mm-hmm. was so fun hanging out with him. And he was, he was as generous to me as anyone's ever been. You know, yeah. he really like, we'd hang out all day, play guitars all day. Mm-hmm. He had a huge collection of amazing gear, and we would just jam basically. Mm. Um, it was I think it was fun for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he, uh, we were talking about him earlier, where, yeah. you know, for, for those that don't know, he started what I think was kind of the first like instructional video company out there, Hot Licks Video. Yeah. You know, that was kind of a, a new idea uh-huh. at the time that he started doing it. 
So he would get these guys, like legends, yeah, get all the cats and have them show all their stuff, right. make into video, and then people around the world would buy it on, on either VHS or like the European format, PAL. Yeah. And so um, I started hanging with Arlen, and eventually he asked me if I wanted to work for Hot Licks. Mm-hmm. So it was like the coolest job an 18-year-old could possibly have. Mm-hmm. You know, he paid me really well, super generous. He let me take videos, right. so I would learn from the videos. We'd have a lesson every you know now and again mm-hmm. it was just it was just rad and i yeah. learned so much from those videos he had me transcribing stuff for the videos right. it was super cool we'd go to guitar shows to sell the videos it was awesome very cool man so can you talk about like your like what you were working on when you the time when like you didn't have a teacher in high school like what were you like what were you working on like were you starting to work on vocabulary or like voicings or reading or like all the, all those things or anything I could, it was definitely before that you could learn stuff from the internet right so internet wasn't really a an option. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure how if my ears are. I don't really remember if I how much I was getting from records. Mm-hmm. You know, like transcribing off records. I don't know how much I did that. I don't really remember. But um, I know books were a big deal to me. Yeah. Like if I could get a book, you know, I would try to just absorb as much as I could. And like that, that National Guitar Workshop thing. Like whenever I would go there for the summer, I would try to buy a few books mm-hmm. and take that stuff home and learn. Right. And also take lots of notes and you know mm-hmm. go back and work on that. And right. Basically, I was trying to just figure out the guitar. And this is something I talk about in all my videos, or like my when I teach. You know. Yeah. I have that my music masterclass video, and this is basically what we start with is like learning the instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, and I try to learn it as thoroughly as I can, just like figure out how to play across the whole neck of the guitar, make the guitar one thing instead of like these positional broken down pieces of an instrument that mm-hmm. most teachers teach like, mm-hmm. teach it as rather. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it was good for me to like learn alone for a good chunk of time, mm-hmm. you know, cause I kind of figure out my own way of, you know, yeah. deciphering the instrument. And I right. think it was actually really beneficial. Yeah, sure. And what about, um, like playing wise, like in high school. So you were playing in the big band in the high. You guys it was a jazz band, band yeah. like a big band or something. And yeah. then did you have like anything outside of school, like a rock band or like uh, anything else you play with? I, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have a band band, which was kind of sad because there there weren't a lot of guys, there weren't a lot of people in in the like suburban community that were really as serious about music as I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But I definitely had people to jam with, you know. Yeah. I had friends that would come over and usually two guitar players jamming. Sometimes we'd have a drummer, you know. Yeah. But never like a complete band. But sometimes we would make like little bands and we would get that going for a little while. Yeah. And um, so what about like one of the, what's like a concert you saw like early on, like in middle school or high school that like really blew you away that was like really knocked you out? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Like for me, like in ninth grade, I had a long-term girlfriend, and Page and Plant were playing at the Hartford Civic Center. I saw Page and Plant, and uh, they, like, it was the night of like homecoming, and everyone's like, "Oh, you guys are gonna be homecoming queen, king, and queen." Totally went to see Page and Plant. Like, Sick. you know, it's like obviously blew my mind. Like, Sick. first song they played was the Wonton song. I was like, "Oh fuck yeah, this is awesome." Anyway, so like, but if there's if there's if anything comes up, we can talk about it later or like. I know that my first concert was Oasis. That was the first oh, cool. actual concert yeah. I went to. Um, Where was that? In New York City? That was at Jones Beach. Jones Beach. Cool. Yeah, and that was sixth grade. So in high school, like, what was one of your, like, favorite albums? Or a couple, like, you know, that were, like, really, like, all throughout high school really resonated with you? You know, I think the the, the 
player maybe that had the most impact on me was Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. And maybe of his records, Texas Flood mm-hmm. was the one that most kind of like just flipped a switch for me. Yeah. You know, I was like, what is this? You know, mm-hmm. the, um, listening to him play like the, the sense that it was like just flowing out of him. Like yeah. it was like electric, man. Yeah. It was like, you know, there was nothing in between him and the instrument. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or between music and the and, instrument. It was and, just coming out, yeah. you know, it was just, and the sound was like nothing I'd ever heard before. Like his, and still, you know, there's, there's been known that yeah, sounds the like tone, Stevie Ray yeah. Vaughan. It's the tone is yeah, insane. insane. Yeah. So that was the first thing that really just like, you know, that just totally electrified me. Mm. And, now, this is gonna and be... I still listen to it. You know, it's right. like sometimes you listen to stuff that you loved when you were younger and you're like, oh, this is cool. You know, I could see how I would have liked this, but yeah. now it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah. But that stuff still floors me. Yeah. You know, it's really transcendent. Uh, I've heard that he played like really heavy gauge strings. Is that is that part of the tone or do you know if that's true or like? Yes. The, uh, <laughs> that's the re- I play really heavy gauge strings too. I play this 13s. Okay. Um, you know, I, I would say that a light gauge string is a nine. Mm-hmm. Ten is like some people would consider it heavy, other people would consider it light. Some people consider elevens heavy. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like I play an eleven gauge string. It's like it's like nothing's there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, the the difference is pretty steep between each set. You know, a twelve, eleven, and thirteen is like huge, huge difference. If okay. that makes any sense. It does. And would you? So what he played thirteens? You said? Yeah, and that's I started doing that soon after I you know, got super into Steve Ray Vaughan because it was for me, like, how do I get that sound? Right. And it, yeah, of course, it makes the biggest difference. Like, you know, people want to talk into buying new guitars, new amps, whatever, which is all great, but right. the most basic thing is the strings. You right. Know, it's the cheapest thing to change. And also, would you equate that to, like, the action on, like, a like an older Steinway piano versus, like, a newer, like, Yamaha or something? There were, like, the older Steinways have, like, it takes a little more, like, definitive force to like get the proper tone out of the key and the Yamaha's a little lighter like it's more sound you know you're, you're pushing a heavier string through the air it's it's like you know just the physics of it is totally different you know right. there's a lot more mass that's being vibrated yeah of course it's going to sound bigger right bigger's not necessarily better you know what I mean right um you know there's amazing tone with you know super light strings mm-hmm. but there's only one way to to do with Stevie Ray did, I think. Right. And it's right. kind of heavy strings, man. There you go. Cool. So when it came time for you to consider going to college, did you have a clear idea that you were going to do music? No, uh, that's a that's a good point. Um, like like you know, many young kids that want to per- pursue music, you know, mm-hmm. you, you got the the folks that might not be into it, not or they sure. might yeah. they might not you know they want the best for you. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. And they want to make, you know, music's a, it's a, it's a risky business, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And if your folks really want you to be happy, you know, they want to make sure that you're not making a bad decision. But, uh, no one can really know for you if music's your thing, you know? Right. And even sometimes you might doubt it, no matter how much you believe in it, because it's, we've kind of been taught that it's not totally okay to, right. to be a musician, you know? It's like, it's... It's okay, mm-hmm. but it's not really. Okay. It's not proper. Yeah, definitely. certainly not proper. Yeah. So uh, they definitely had reservations about it. Uh huh. You know, I don't know if they were really trying to talk me out of it, but they were just like, they were hesitant to to green light or definitely to encourage it. Yeah. 
I would say they definitely didn't encourage it. Yeah. But they also didn't like, they weren't like, forbid you to... And pull the you know, plug on it. Yeah. And it, it did help that I got a really nice scholarship to Berkeley and I ended up getting a full scholarship nice. in the end. Um, so that was kind of like, okay, cool. Well, we're not paying for this anyway. Yeah, so uh, might as well. <laughs> knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that stuff is really helpful when you're, when you're thinking about music school. Of course, like, you know, music is a, is a business where you, you really... You know, if you're going to become a doctor or a lawyer, you can kind of count on having a certain salary that's typical for that industry. Yeah. Uh, musician salary can can vary from zero dollars per year to you know multi multi million, right. and you never really know where you're going to fall in there. Probably yeah. somewhere in between that. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> and maybe towards <laughs> towards the lower end of that, but but there's no way to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it might be smart not to like accrue huge financial deficits before you've even gotten started in this industry, which Absolutely. is a, a long climb up to could, can be a long climb up to the top. Yeah. But college in general, man, the, 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 the amount universities are charging for to attend their school is totally outrageous. Yeah. You know, and that's doesn't, it doesn't matter what industry you're going yeah. into. So if you have an aptitude for music and you think you can get some sort of scholarship, to go to university for it, I think that that's a, a good selling point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If you, you, you kind of have to be really honest with yourself about, about if it's what you want to do at all times. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like a year into the music school, maybe reevaluate. Mm -hmm. Two years in, mm -hmm. you know, don't be afraid to cut your loss and say, do I really love this? Is this really, is it making me happy? Mm. You know what I mean? And uh, if the answer is yes, I don't think there's a reason to stop. Right. But if the answer is no, you know, right. F find what, what makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it takes some searching. Sure. 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 And so, so like you said, you ended up, you went to Berkeley, uh, you got a scholarship and then, I did. Uh, also, yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't even sure I wanted, I wanted to, to do it, but then like, you know, I knew some other people that were going and I was like, well, if these guys are going to go, you know, I can go too. Yeah. You know, and it worked out great. And you went for, what was your major? Was it performance? It, it switched around. It ended up being performance, I believe. Okay. Yeah. I um, and while you're at school, like, so what were some influential teachers, like, when you were at school that really, like, resonated with you? Uh, David Tronzo, this guitar mm -hmm. player. Did you ever meet yeah, him? No, dude. Man, what yeah. a dude. He was, he's just an amazing human being. He's so knowledgeable. You can talk about anything with him. Mm -hmm. You know, like bring up a subject. It's like Jeopardy, you know? <laughs> he'll just like, he'll school you on it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, guitar is his, of all the subjects that he's like a wizard at, yeah. guitar is the one. He's like a, just a total master. Yeah. And a, a really original think, thinker, thinker, you know, yeah. like acutely unique and uh, something you're not going to get out of any book, mm -hmm. you know? So hang, and, and I met him his first semester. I knew who he was. Mm hmm so I signed up for his class right away as soon as I saw I was teaching there and it was like me and one other guy because people weren't hip to him yet right now I, I, as I understand it he's like followed around by, by the pack the pack of people uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like Mr. Sure. Trouser Mr. Trouser uh, <laughs> but at the time you know I was like I had so much of his time yeah because you know? he, yeah. he had just moved up there he didn't know that many people yet mm -hmm. and uh, he, it was, he was just such a resource for me just even to hear him play you know amazing yeah amazing can we talk a little bit about like your approach to practicing like when you got to school like you mentioned before like the idea of like mint like knowing your instrument like inside out the the the, the makeup of the instrument um like 
What were some like big topics that you felt like you needed to conquer like right away when you got to school on the guitar? I think the biggest hurdle when I first got to school is like like I mentioned before, growing up in the burbs, I didn't have that many people to play with. I mean, I had people to play with, but yeah, not necessarily people that were super serious about music. No offense to them, they just didn't end up pursuing careers sure. in music. Yeah, so totally cool. Um, so when I got to school for the first time, I was surrounded by people that were really serious about music and had played you know you know they some of them had been on tour some of them had you know what i mean yeah records yeah so it was kind of jumping to that like i knew a lot about my instrument like from a stay at home and practice by myself thing mm -hmm. but now it was like okay let's play a gig right you know so that was new and that mm -hmm. was like okay i gotta figure out how to do this well and mm -hmm. like how to you know interact with people musically in the moment you know because mm -hmm. I haven't had that much experience doing that mm -hmm. uh, that was one thing um, what else was a challenge I wasn't prepared to I didn't I, I knew Berkeley is just a school for music yeah I didn't think of it as like a jazz conservatory but when I got there that's very much the the track that I was more or less placed in mm -hmm. okay this is your ensemble you you made it into like the top freshman ensemble right and i got there and they're like okay let's play you know confirmation one two one and i was like i don't even right. know what that song is you know right. what i mean because i wasn't necessarily a, i was coming from hendrix steve ray vaughn jimmy page but i knew how to play over chord changes because i was figuring out my instrument yeah you know so they're like oh you must be a jazz guy but i wasn't you know i right. didn't really didn't know much about jazz at 18 years old so at first I was a little thrown off. I was like, do I even want to do this? Yeah. You know, is this one I'm interested in? Yeah. And then, you know, just cause you know, I had to get through that semester or something. I started listening to more records, checking out more stuff really. And I fell in love with it. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. I want to do them both. I'd like to hear like your approach, like practicing rhythm, just like rhythm on its own. Was like, was that something like a subject that you're obviously always dealing with it, but like in a lot of like the music that I hear you playing on records or with other people's, music like part a lot of the style has like this expansive concept of rhythm um and to, like longer phrase or odd phrasing or longer phrases and i'm curious like on your development and like and your approach to developing like for a while that. I was, all i practiced was like really i, I mean everything i i practice is kind of i must stick to the basics kind of guy like yeah i try to make things as simple as base and basic as possible and and usually that's the most difficult stuff by far mm -hmm. you know what i mean that's the stuff that's really really the most challenging is to do something that's super simple mm -hmm. basic so for a while at berkeley um i was just working on my time mm -hmm. and i would put a metronome really slow maybe like 30 beats per minute 40 mm -hmm. beats per minute uh something like that and i would go through all the subdivisions so i started just by playing whole notes mm -hmm. i'd play whole notes for 10 minutes then I'd play half notes, then I'd play quarter notes, I'd play eighth notes, triplets, sixteenth notes, quintuplets, mm -hmm. sextuplets, yeah. you know, going all the way up and then back down. And I would try to make the transition seamless. So going from eighth notes to triplets at a really slow tempo, you know, it was very hard for me. Yeah. yeah, it was really hard for me. And even even just playing with a swing feel, like just playing swing eighths at really slow tempos, I would play swing eighths for hours, just like on an open string. Cause I was trying to figure that stuff out. Like I said, I hadn't played with people that much. So my right. time was kind of, you know, it was a bit, a bit rough, you know, yeah. I, I needed to get that together. Yeah. So I still, and that's still what I work on. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's one of those things I feel like I'll always work on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I also like to talk a little about like the development, your development of like 
lines and, and your concept of phrasing because I feel like even when I first like met you and like started playing a little bit like you had a pretty already like a distinctive approach to like those two things like your lines and the way in your phrasing and um and over the years that's definitely like gotten deeper and expanded I'm curious if you took like uh like kind of like a scientific approach to like checking out like you know like all the way back to like Louis Armstrong or earlier like looking at his approach to like phrasing and like lines to Charlie Parker to Coltrane to whoever else you want to take it through and so I'm I'm curious if you like looked at it from like a historical perspective or if you just kind of like or like how you how you approached it you know I mean I, I think that in some way it is informed by that because yeah I checked all that stuff out sure you yeah. know and, and still do but a, a, a lot of it was being okay with what you know liking what I did naturally yeah and being okay with what I did yeah. naturally you know what I mean if there are players that I love that are like so themselves but also so not what you know you might think they're supposed to be yeah you know like oh you should uh, there, there's a, a a player that i was in in school with who's so awesome and just plays great guitar and it's really unique and it's really him and i remember all the teachers were like oh you need to play more eighth notes but he was like totally cool with it he's like no not, yeah not gonna do it and there was a lot of that for me too at berkeley where like you know someone would give you advice and you know, I always listen. I'm always down to get advice from people. Mm-hmm. I'm like so ready to take some advice and, and be like, you're right. I do need to work on that. But I'm also ready to be like, no, nah, it's not my thing. Yeah. You know, and the fact that I played a strat, you know, mm-hmm. people were telling me my whole life, like, you can't do that. You yeah. Know? And I was totally cool with it. I was like, no, I, I, I can. I'm gonna. Right. You know what I mean? So phrasing wise, to answer your question, um, there was a part of me that just kind of liked the way I did what I did and wanted to just get better at that. Yeah. But did I check out like, you know, Schofield and Kurt Rosenwinkel and Coltrane and Miles? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. I was like, how can I, you know, get some of that in there too? Right. So that stuff did all inform uh, my playing, but I never tried to copy it. Sure. I, I never tried to like, cause I never wanted to sound exactly like someone right. else right right i was never like this is it the way this guy is playing is exactly what, what I you want to sound right sure. it was never that it was like i i like what i'm doing i just yeah. want to be better at it so fundamental question you graduated from berkeley i did yeah okay cool i did um i had no excuse not to you know i had a right. scholarship to go there so it was just like it's amazing you know i could just yeah. take whatever classes i wanted uh, you know yeah I, I didn't i wasn't worried about wasting my money yeah and uh, I, I wasn't worried about wasting my time either because I only spent, I was 22 years old when I graduated. Right. Like 21, 22. Right. So it's like I was still super young. Right. And uh, another great teacher I had at Berkeley, this guy, Alain Millet. Mm-hmm. Uh, super cool. Pianist. Pianist. Yeah. Awesome dude. Awesome teacher. Um, but he was pretty instrumental in getting me out of Boston mm-hmm. at age 22. Um, I was about to graduate and he said, man, what are you doing when, when you're done? I said, oh, I'm going to stick around Boston and uh, just practice really hard and like mm-hmm. get ready to get my stuff together. He's like, no, you're not. I was like, no, I am. He's like, yeah. no, you're not. Yeah. And he really sat me down and he was like very aggressive about not getting me, uh, about making sure I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. He's like, you need to move to New York immediately. I was like, but he's like, what do you think, man? Are you crazy? You think you're going to practice for a year and then like show up in New York and like blow everyone away? Like, it's not going to happen, man. Like no matter yeah. how good you are, you're going to show up in New York no one's really going to care. care I mean, yeah, he, exactly. Yeah. He, he was he was saying, that it, you know, it, it's funny. When I moved to New York, I found people so much more compassionate and cool and down and excited. 
than they were made out to be in Boston. Mm-hmm. When I went to Berkeley, the the consensus among the faculty was like, New York's gonna chew you up and spit you out. It's the city of broken dreams, and don't you don't even go down there. You know, like yeah. don't even take the bus down there for a day unless you're ready to like play giant steps backwards, 400 BPM, and all 12 keys, and like. Right. And it was, it was just this absurd, like, Notion. caricature yeah. of, of, yeah. of the place. And I got here, and I was like, it's so not like that. Yeah. so much warmer than I felt Boston was. Right. But uh, Alan was like, man, just move there. You know, it's going to be great. You're going to get your butt kicked, and, and it's going to be great for you. And that's exactly what you need to do. Like, sitting here in Boston, just, like, playing, playing uh, practicing at home is not going to do mm-hmm. anything for you. Yeah. And so, he was right. So did you go right away? Did you? Day after I graduated. Yeah. I moved. Right. I mean, it was my roommate was moving down. Yeah. He'd been out of school for a year. Okay. He had done kind of what I want, what I thought I wanted to do. Yeah. And he was so over it. It was like, so I kind of, and he's like, I'm moving. You coming? I was like, I can come the day after I graduate. He's like, cool. So we did. Cool. So can you talk a little bit about getting, getting established? Uh, in the scene, like when you first moved here, like you showed up and you I got just your, showed up. You got your guitar. I just showed up with <laughs> yeah. my guitar. Yeah, I mean, um, I was pretty proactive about like you know trying to meet. Okay, the 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 backstory is I had a little bit of a soft landing because um, at the time I was playing with um, so Joe Lovano was teaching at Berkeley, right? Mm-hmm. Amazing saxophone player Joe Lovano, who was super cool, and he had me in his band for a couple gigs. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like kind of a student it was with Esperanza who was also a student yeah. at the time Esperanza Spalding was playing bass and this guy Francisco Melo was playing drums mm-hmm. who was in the Boston scene I don't know if he was teaching at Berkeley at the time so it was like kind of a Berkeley-ish band and we mm-hmm. did a few gigs together and it was great it was amazing playing with Joe and uh, after that I, that's how I met Francisco Melo and he hired me for his band mm-hmm. so I was doing a lot of gigs with him at the time and like right when I f- moved to New York maybe like day two of being in New York we played at Smalls mm-hmm. with uh, Mela's band, with yeah. George Garzon, and I don't remember who else was on it, but Smalls had just reopened, so it was a real real scene, and a lot of guys were down there mm-hmm. hanging out. So just even that first night, I met a ton of people, both young people my age that mm-hmm. were like, hey man, you know, I just graduated from the new school, we should play. Yeah. And then, you know, older guys that were like, you know, I'd like to hire you for my, you know, weekly gig at wherever. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. It yeah. was like kind of a song. So right away you made some great connections. On like day one, yeah, which yeah. was really a lucky break. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of already in a band that was playing a little bit. Mm-hmm. That helped for sure. Yeah. And were you still practicing at this during this period? Like. Yeah. I, I would say um, the, the time I practiced more than ever in my life was my second year at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a combination of factors. One, I really wanted to. That's like all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was like after a year of kind of getting my butt kicked and kind of just taking it mm-hmm. on the chin and being like, oh, I need to work on this. To the second year being like, I'm going to work on this. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm going to do nothing but. And I also had kind of a crappy living situation, which is not I'm not saying go and do that. But it, it did help. You yeah. know, I didn't want to be home because mm-hmm. I was like, I had all these roommates and they're all like, it was like living in a pigsty, like a. 19 year olds who like don't know how to take care of themselves right it was like just not a, like a awesome place sure. to, to be yeah you know sharing a room with someone you know whatever it's like right right i'd rather be at school practicing you sure. know i don't need to go like hang out at the crib right so that year i practiced an insane amount and it was so good for me so let's talk about the the golden age record um you know i'm curious like about your concept for what that record sounds like because it's definitely a very unique sounding record it's like 
definitely has some like indie indie whatever you want to rock backbeat influences there's obviously some like modern jazz playing and then there's some like you know the use of like samples from like different political speeches and um like can you talk a little bit about like putting that all together into like your own sound and your concept for that sure um i I think the most important thing is that like it it, for me it wasn't contrived it was just what i was into you know what i mean and still you know i'd love i think if if you know, if you put like a gun to my head and you're like, you have to choose one thing. Mm-hmm. You can be one kind of player. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be like a rock guy and jazz guy or whatever. What do you choose? I think I would be a textures guy mm-hmm. because textures is like what I what I love. Like different, you know, different variations of sound and like what you can bring bring to just sound in general, mm-hmm. as opposed to any kind of stylistic consideration. Mm-hmm. So for me, the record was like about like what textures can I bring forward and like and and, and it all was very genuine it was like that's what i liked Mm -hmm. it wasn't i always felt like when whenever i would hear like jazz musicians try to do like bjork covers or or like kind of combine jazz and and rock and roll a bit it would fall so flat to me Mm -hmm. it would be it was like my kryptonite i was Mm -hmm. like oh i can't take this turn it off (laughs) yeah you know because it felt contrived it felt like let's try and do this and see if people like it yeah you know or like wouldn't it be cool yeah wouldn't it be neat you know, it was like it was cooked up in a lab. Right. And yeah. that, that for me was like total kryptonite. Yeah. Kind of still is. Um, but this, I was, for me, I was just kind of doing stuff that I loved. Mm. You know, I loved this stuff. Yeah. And I, I had never, I never turned away from it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was coming back to something that I grew up with. It was like, it was always there. I never denied it. Mm-hmm. It was always kind of who I was. Right. So this is my first chance, my first record, chance to kind of like show people who I was. Yeah. So the music I wrote just was like an extension of that. Genuine. I had that yeah. band in, in college with Christian Scott and mm-hmm. and uh, Lucas Curtis and Nick Falk. I don't know if you remember any yeah. of that music, but it was yeah. kind of similar. Mm-hmm. It was like rock and roll mm-hmm. and, and the blues. I kind of came up with the blues too in my guitar playing. Um, so it was kind of all that, you know, same, stu- same stuff. Right. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Just I re-listened to it on the drive down here and it was like, you know, you don't hear the first actual improvised solo until like halfway through the second tune. Mm-hmm. It is the first, like, you know, so it's yeah. a lot of like groove and theme and texture. It's like 10 minutes in, right? Yeah, exactly. For solo, before yeah. the solo, first solo even happens. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, and you made that record on with so- Sony? Yeah. Right? It, it came out on Sony Masterworks, the OK label. Yeah. I'm curious, like, how did, like, how getting that how that deal came to be like if they approached you or like you met people in the scene it was a process you know I knew a lot of people in the music industry and the Uh scene but I made the record first okay and I made it to my liking Mm -hmm. first you know so I went to the studio twice first time I didn't like what I didn't like the way it was recorded okay I thought the playing was good but I thought the record I mixed it too Uh I was like you know what this doesn't sound the way I want it to sound yeah and I ended up redoing it okay and uh, when I was finally happy with it, then I was like, okay, let me present this to people. Let me try and get um, something going. And uh, I, I couldn't really get that far on my own. You know, I would send it to people and, they'd, and I'd be like, hey, can you give this to the third person? Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, yeah, sure. And then years later when I finally met the third person, I'd be like, hey, did you ever hear him? And they'd be like, no, they never gave it to me or whatever. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah. There's only so far you can go on your own. So when I finally met my manager, um, it was kind of a long process, but basically... Uh, short story is you know i had played on some blue note records mm-hmm. and and um the lawyer who 
was responsible for paying me for those record sideman dates. Um, I just one day asked him if I could send him my record, you know, because he was mm-hmm. a cool guy and we had worked together before. He said, mm-hmm. sure. Um, so then he wrote me back, hey man, sounds great. And that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. And when I finally met my manager, he was like, I've heard of you. Like, where have I heard of you? Like, I said, I don't know. And then we finally figured out we both worked with this lawyer. And he said, oh man, he was telling me how much he loved your record and how much he thought it was a great special record. Could you send it to me? Mm-hmm. I said, sure. And then the next day he called me. He's like, man, let's work together. I have a plan. I think your record's going to do great. Mm. And so, um, and then, you know, he's a music industry right. guy. So, yeah. He hooked it up. You yeah. Know? And it was cool. Once I knew him, it was like, you know, I had many, many offers for to put out that record. But before that, I was really limited. Right. So it was just kind of a lucky, you know, thing that we both knew the same guy that I'd... But if I didn't have a product that I was really pleased with, either I wouldn't have sent it out to the lawyer or mm-hmm. he wouldn't have liked it or whatever. So it's, yeah. it was just kind of like a word of mouth through mutual friends. Sure. Cool. Um, so, uh, so, good, good, good. So, let's... Um, and so, and so now, do you, like living, you live in New York. So, like, do you work as a freelance, like, for, you know, at player for people's sessions? I or, do. Yeah, or, I'm. Or I'm happy to play bands. guitar for for people. I love the kind of. I, I love trying to make other people sound as good as they can. You know, like trying to make the music come alive for someone else. Like, um, it's it's all. I always look at it as like kind of production work almost. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, how can I play these parts so that this song really comes to life? How can I, you know, take a solo so that it fits the song? And, you know, right. I want to make their music sound great. So I, I do love that. And I do produce records for people. Mm-hmm. I should play some stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm waiting for that. Do you feel like, um, especially like in the jazz, if you get hired to play in, some, in a band as a side band in like a jazz situation, like, do you feel like there's a different approach uh, to the way you play, ver- like, as a sideman versus to like as a leader um in terms of like how you throw your weight around in terms of like improvisation and like you know how it affects the music and the band yeah of course i i think that as a sideman you know your job is to you know complete the leader's vision but also to like you know make your own decisions about how to make the music come alive you know like i was saying when it's your own band it's you have complete say in what the music is supposed to be yeah it's up to you yeah. So I don't have anybody else's vision to take into account. Right. You know, and I write music that's tailored to my strengths and to what I dig. But as a sideman, you know, I have to figure out how to make their vision come alive. Right. And that's cool. Right. Yeah. Because absolutely. I enjoy that. I enjoy making, you know, other people's visions come to life. I think it's cool. Cool. And uh, so as I was driving down here, I was listening to your record. I've heard it before, obviously before, but I was listening to it like fresh this morning. And like I was thinking about two guitar players that kept coming to mind and I wanted to like hear you just speak on them a little bit. One is Daniel Lanois and one is David Gilmore. And, From Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just curious like like you know what those guitar players like mean to you like if you're particularly influenced by them or. Uh, Daniel I can't say that like you know I obviously know his production work mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I appreciate his pedal steel playing is really rad uh, but I'm not like I'm not as well versed in him as I'd mm-hmm. like to be, mm-hmm. um, but I think that he's done. He's you know he's gone way beyond himself in that like he's 
his his vision is part of the fabric of modern rock music. You yeah, know what I mean? Like yeah. the Daniel Landois sound is just it's out there. Yeah. So even if you don't know that you're you might not even be listening to a record he did, but he's been so influential that yeah. it's like it's touched so many things. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say specifically, you know, like, you know, I I, I wanna check out more of his solo projects and stuff, but that right. doesn't mean that I haven't been incredibly influenced, influenced by, by stuff it. that he's influenced. You Already, know what I mean? Sure, yeah. So um yeah. And how yeah. about uh, David Gilmore? Uh, and yeah, I love David Gilmore. Yeah. Um, and that's another kind of tone guru. Yeah. Um, and uh, I wish I had the you know restraint that he has. You know the yeah. he just you know freezes you in your tracks with one phrase. But um, I think along the lines of like a, a David Gilmore lin- lineage, a guy that really resonates with me is Mike Campbell mm-hmm. from Heartbreakers. Yeah. Because um, he's like that too. You know, he's mm-hmm. just like his craft of building a solo that is like just part and parcel of the song mm-hmm. like you can't really separate the song from the solo they're yeah. like the same thing you know what i yeah. mean they're one piece um those guys are masters at that yeah you know they're just they just play the right thing with the right sound and it just captivates you yeah absolutely um so in that respect i admire those guys so much and i wish i could be more like that oh uh, you know? yeah yeah cool i was watching this dvd of like a recent dvd well recent probably 15 years old pink floyd like live in europe somewhere and they're playing comfortably numb and david gilmore is playing this the outro solo it's longer on the live thing it's maybe like mm. eight minutes long but wow. it's like it's like it's like a perfectly constructed like written solo that he plays for like eight minutes it's from memory it's yeah. it's mind-blowing and it's yeah. perfect it's yeah. yeah those guys are such they're they're composers you know yeah. what i mean that's like it's yeah. like the instrumental part of the song yeah you know? exactly and it, it's the song wouldn't be the same without it you exactly know? yeah and stevie ray vaughn was like that too mm-hmm. you know the, those solos are very compositional and he would pr- kind of use them as a framework when he played live you yeah. know what i mean it wasn't yeah. purely improvised right but it was like just so compositionally sound and mm-hmm. so compositionally perfect that it was like you know for any any points you lost in the improv category, yeah. you just gained those tenfold in the composition category. Right, you know right. what I mean? It's incredible. Right. And one guitar player that I was uh, thinking of is like that I, I don't, that's one of my favorite guitar players, musicians of all time, but I feel like I don't hear it all in your music. If I wanted to hear you speak about it, was just was Keith Richards. Keith. Yeah. So yeah, I'm curious like what mm-hmm. you're like, if we've never talked, if you're like, I don't know if you're into the Stones. I'm or into like, the Stones, yeah. of course. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that Keith was one of my first big influences. Um, I was more Hendrix, mm-hmm. Jimmy Page. For a guitar player that's as raw as Keith is, mm-hmm. the guy for me would be Neil Young. Mm-hmm. Neil Young was a probably bigger influence. I in, yeah. in just in just the way that like you do whatever you want, you make it work. Yeah. And he makes it work so well. So I could well, listen yeah. to Neil Young solos all night long. Yeah. I do sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love I, I love Neil Young's guitar playing so much. And Keith is like that too. Yeah. The thing is, Keith is like... Same... They all are. You could never recreate Keith Richards. Yeah. Like, playing Rolling Stones songs is really hard for yeah. me. Because it's like... Keith is so Keith. Yeah. It's so like... Yeah. Just what he's doing is so impossible to recreate for me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, for anyone, man, it's like yeah, yeah it's, it's just there's only one. Yeah, exactly. There's only one. So exactly, he's, he's been a guy that I just don't know how he does. Yeah, exactly. Know? I just have no clue. So. I feel like he's like the Elvin Jones of the guitar or something. It's like everybody's trying, That's an but it's comparison. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, I, I think I just decided not to even try. Yeah, sure. You know, cool, man. Um, so. Yeah. 
just a couple more things. Uh, this can be, you know, you, so this will be quick. Uh, so let's, um, so at this point in your career, like what is your practice routine like? Um, well, yeah, important at, you know, as you get older and, and busier, you probably have less time to practice. So mm -hmm. there's a big part of it that's just like, what do I need to do for the gig tonight mm -hmm. or the tour or the recording session? Like, how do I prepare for this event that's happening? Um, and it's not cramming, but it's just like, you know, how do I focus my attention on the pieces of music that I'm going to have to address? Mm -hmm. um, so that takes up a big part of it. When I do have time to do more than that, you know, and I do need, you know, I can't, I can't just like do an hour a day every single day. Yeah. You know, I, there's got to be like a day in there where I do a lot. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Or I play, you know, I play gigs pretty often, you mm -hmm. know, because it's New York City and there's a lot going on and or recordings or a TV show or whatever comes up, you yeah. know. So that for me does count, you know, as long as I'm playing my instrument, it does yeah. count because um, I'm addressing, you know, I might have to be sight reading or I might have to be like I'm thrown into all these situations. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I do have like a day, you know, which is rare, but if I do have a day, I'll just try to work on my time work on like the basic stuff we were talking about mm -hmm. like phrasing i have all these i have this whole spiel that i, mm -hmm. that I do yeah. which is like it's but if you boil it down it's all the basics yeah you know, that stuff's just still kicks my butt will always kick my butt yeah um so that's just my thing i'm not like uh i'm not a routine i'm not a routine guy. no i'm not a, i'm not a routine guy um it, it never worked for me mm-hmm I, I, I am a believer in, in that you find what works for you and, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you can choose to address your weaknesses and maybe my one of my weaknesses is, like, is disciplined practice if you consider that a weakness. Mm -hmm. like, it's not something that I do, disciplined practice. Right. I could try to address that or I could kind of just strengthen what is good about like the free, kind of free form right. practice that I do and just focus on making that better. Right, right. You know, so that's the approach. Cool. And um, so do you have any post-gig rituals? I don't. No? There's not something I do after every gig. I, okay. You know, eventually I go home. Yeah. <laughs> Good enough. Well, Nierfelder, man, it's great to see you. And thanks yeah, for taking man, the time to do this, man. Thanks for having me, man. This was really fun. I appreciate it. This episode was produced and edited by me, Andrew Jones. The theme song was a collaboration between Matt Pendergast and myself. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com. You'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please feel free to email me at amusiciansLifePodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, at MusicianLifePod. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and remember, time with music is time well spent.